The Start On Demand. On demand. Together, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb in studio again for the first time in a long time. And today we'll talk election. The writ was dropped on Monday, and we want to know, does personality matter to you as the provincial election looms? Also a reminder on Wednesday, it is Decision 2019, Your Voice Matters. We'll be broadcasting live on location at Portage and Maine all day long, so come say hi. And Summer Burnout. If you run out of ideas of stuff to do with the kids, and how do you get them to start going to bed earlier? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, August 13th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Ooh, not just saying it. Together again. I'm feeling it. No qualifiers this time. (laughs) How long has it been? June 28th, 27th, whatever the last Friday of June was. Six weeks. (laughs) Six weeks apart. It's really ludicrous when you think about it. (laughs) Well, you all look great. Oh, thank you. You You look so shabby yourself, McNabb. So you you were off first in July, Mm -hmm. and then Greg. And Greg. Then, and then you, and me. me again, and then me again, and then you again, and then you're gonna be you're off. taking a couple days here and there, okay. and then Greg's done doing the last week of August. Yeah, and no, I'm never coming back. <laughs> never coming back. <laughs> Are you ever gonna do uh, book a late August vacation again? I will never do that again because everybody's asking me. Oh, are you looking forward to going to California? I get, yes, I am looking forward to going to California, but I'm not looking forward to. It. To it being the last week of August. It was a dumb decision from that respect because now the cherry on top of the ice cream is at the very end of the summer. I and think that that's means, great. No, because then when I come back, it's going to be September. Right. But the way I feel right now is already sort of like in that back to school mode. And that's way too Bite early. Your it's it's way, way too early. It's way too early. We well, still have all, weeks of summer left. It's also way too early because yesterday, Greg and I were at Niaqua. Golf and Country Club for the Cardiac Classic for St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. And Greg noticed, he said, what is that? And he looked on the ground and it was a yellow leaf that had fallen. And we were sitting outside on the patio and the wasps were starting to swarm. And I thought, well, I guess it's approaching mid-August. Here we go. It's already starting to set in. That summer is coming to a close. I don't like it. Because the aphid poop and pee on your car it's isn't gone. enough. Yeah, now we don't have to deal with that. So now that means, of course, wasps must appear in order to ruin our late summer dinners on the deck or patio. So I already declared I was over taking care of my yard. Like You're it's done, like, it's right? like the snow's falling. I'm like, ah, this will just take care of itself. Really? <laughs> oh, there's like thistles everywhere. It's so dry. Like I keep all the only thing that's grown is the weeds. And it feels like it's been endless. So yesterday I started pulling a couple things out. Then I was like, I think this is just going to take care of itself. Well, the weeds, I, I remember when I was a terrible homeowner. And one of the reasons why I was a terrible homeowner is I never tackled weeds. The only time I the only time I ever tackled the weeds was when I had to get the house ready for sale. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and I went out daily. So otherwise it was just yeah, well, weeds I would, everywhere? I would, I would cut the grass, but yeah. I would just mow the weeds. Sure. I wouldn't do anything with them. And I went out, I don't know, every day for like two weeks, <laughs> for like an hour, just yes. pulling dandelions, like getting underneath and yanking them out by yeah. the root. And the next day there'd be a hundred more. And uh, so I don't have the patience for that. I salute homeowners who do well, take avid care of their yard. We were gone. So again, we, we, we went away for only one section where we were gone for about 10 days of the summer. And we come back and then we thought, the, you know, the yard's going to be out of control or the grass is going to be. So nothing grew really except for the weeds. And then there's this one thistle that grew through the deck at least four and a half feet. I was so impressed that I thought about leaving it just to see where that would go. How big it could like get. Like it's right in the middle. You'd have to walk around it to get out the door. And I was like, <laughs> I should leave this. Like this is impressive. Where, how high could this, this it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, my stepmom pointed out in one of my flower pots that we actually had, you know, I take a lot of pride in and um, 
my stepmom looked at uh, one of my pots and goes, you know, that's a weed, right? I go, where? <laughs> that tall green. I said, oh, I thought that was a plant of some description. No, it was a weed. And uh, <laughs> I got a really, I need to get a horticultural book or something to learn and differentiate between the weeds and some plants. Oh, no, I send pictures. Because some of the weeds are yes, kind of pretty. Right. I sent pictures just a few days ago to my mother-in-law, who's great with her garden, just to be like, is this part? the raspberry plant we planted is this a weed like what's going on there and she's like holy have you ever heard of trimmers like you gotta cut those things down i was like cut what like which part of this that's canada is thistle plant, call and monsanto which part of this is the, yeah oh yeah i remember having to cut down some weeds where i needed like bolt cutters yes. to, yeah. to cut them down yeah it's crazy it's like you're a criminal like you're sneaking out in the night with these shears and you're like just gotta cut down this raspberry plant but it's like we you can't a, get through it and you're like go oh, sweating it out and, you're just reminding me we have a tree that's growing in one of our planters yeah it's about seven feet tall i think there's a chance it's a weed really but yes. is it green Nice yeah. and green. Oh, it's leafy. Lush, yeah. lush weed. It seems to have a bark, some sort of substance on the outer stalk. I think you're good. Yeah. I think you leave that bad boy. I think I'm going to leave it. See how it does next year. <laughs> Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Should Greg leave the mystery plant? Yes. Is it a weed or a tree? We need photographic evidence of this, Greg. I'll uh, I'll collect that uh, tonight. Okay. So lots to talk about today, including the fact that we're off and running. Off and running or walking or not paying attention. I'm not sure what to think. Like I, I watched, um, so the campaign is officially underway, of course. We know, we've known forever the election date is September 10th. So now you're going to hear a lot of promises being made and we're going to talk about whether you even listen to those promises, how you feel about personality. But I watched a couple candidates go door to door last week and nobody was home. So it was the easiest thing in the world. They just slipped their little you know, posters under the door, did a slight knock and a wave at a couple of people. And uh, it's it's such an odd time to make such a major decision about how your money is going to be spent over the next four years or three years if they go early again. And nobody's around to listen. Well, and who's going to be, like you say, on the other side of that door knock? So many of us have plans. That's what I mean. We're not home. Uh, I'm not sitting around waiting for you to come by. Like, that's simply not happening. So uh, there is going to have to be other ways for candidates to get their messages out, for them to meet the voters face-to-face, because I don't think the door knocking is going to do it. It's, like you say, the, the time of year is just not good for that. You're even watching less TV, I would argue. No question. Because your favorite shows aren't on. So I sort of feel like it'll be the last eight days, you know, September 2nd to the 10th when you're back at school and you sit down again, maybe for a separate newscast and you're cramming to figure out like, right, who am I voting for? Not to mention the fact that all these boundaries have changed, election boundaries. And so who you may have voted for the last time around is not even, I had a whole other guy at the door for the conservatives. (laughs) I was like, oh, what are you doing here? He's like, this is my riding. I was like, since when? (laughs) Like, why are you, what, what, how? Are you, not are you in North Winnipeg? Like, how did you end up south? Like, what is going on? Who's driving your car? Yes. I just was like, oh, you just out of vacation? Like, touring around? You had a nice tan going on? Like, I was like, man. Hey, coming south. Maybe he's camping south. So we have lots to discuss on that throughout the morning here and the day on 680 CJOB. And we will all be broadcasting live from 201 Portage tomorrow. Decision 2019. Your voice matters. But up next. I just got to say, Deborah says, who in the heck decides what's a weed and what's a plant anyway? Right, just declare it. <laughs> I declare this the tree of Maclean. There it is. They are off to the races, and as you mentioned earlier, does anyone care? Well, we've known for weeks, this is the most anticlimactic, I think, uh, announcement in the sense that we've known for weeks that September date. 10th is the date for the election. We just went, weren't sure when it was officially going to begin. That all changed yesterday when Brian Palster, of course, made that walk across to the lieutenant governor's house to dissolve the legislature and that put into motion this 28-day campaign. So what that means is over the next few weeks, you will see more ads on TV. You're going to hear more of them on radio and watch plenty of lawn signs in red, orange, blue and green pop up. As Global's Merrick DeCatch explains, this election could include a lot of mudslinging. The campaign is underway and so are the verbal jabs. 
Mr. Pallister knows that he cannot campaign on health care because he's destroyed health care in Manitoba. Manitobans know that we inherited a mess, a big mess, an NDP mess. The personal attacks began weeks ago when the Tories took aim at Canoe's previous criminal convictions for assault and impaired driving and the misogynistic lyrics in his rap songs. People have the right to know who is seeking to be the Premier of Manitoba. So after a fiery start to the campaign, what can we expect in the weeks leading up to September 10th? We're going to point out the differences between our ideas and Mr. Pallister's, but we will keep it on the level of ideas. The PCs are trying to run two campaigns at once. They're trying to, to run a positive, sunshiny one while also uh, launching brutal attacks on the leader of the opposition. Manitobans head to the polls on September 10th. We've been talking for months now about Pallister's decision to go to the polls early. Again, we have fixed election dates, and Manitoba wasn't up for an election until next fall. But political analyst Shannon Sampert says Pallister's current popularity was reason enough to go to the people of Manitoba early. They're sitting at around 42% according to Probe. The NDP have failed. Bob Canoe has failed to make any kind of hay of the mess that has been created as a result of restructuring of health care. They haven't moved at all. So, you know, he's he's pretty much taking advantage of the inability for uh, Bob Canoe to make any kind of inroads in the health care debate. The most recent poll, which was done by Probe, had, of course, the Conservatives in the lead, NDP at 26 percent, Liberals at 16 and Greens at 14. And so obviously the numbers for the Tories are strong. Pallister's numbers are strong, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's well liked. And this is where we'd like to take the conversation now. On our website this morning, the headline is Manitoba Tory leader Brian Pallister favors results over popularity, a sentiment that apparently sits just fine with him. He's actually said in the past that he agrees he may not be someone that you'd like to sit down with and have a beer with. Here's an actual quote from 2016, just after he was elected the first time. Brian Pallister saying, quote, I lack personality. I'm not inspirational. I've been told, but I am a problem solver. So when you hear that, does it matter to you that someone might be not necessarily well-liked, but you're okay with how they do their business? That comment alone endears me to Brian Pallister. Yes, I like people who who admit their their shortcomings and the fact that some people may not see them in a certain light and that most people see them in a different light altogether. I think there's something commendable about understanding your place and understanding your role and why you're here. It's a it's a job first, business first approach. And you I think I think too it's good to recognize that publicly rather than try to be something you're not because remember when Stephen Harper pulled the the blue sweater mm-hmm. commercials tried to be a bit warmer and fuzzier and he was just mocked for it and after that he just kind of went back to what we knew him for, he was kind of curmudgeonly and he didn't really seem to care what anybody thought of him. He was here to, to get some business done. And I, I know a lot of people respected him for that. They didn't, they didn't care that, like, I didn't, they didn't want to go out and have a beer with him. They wanted him to lead the country. I think it depends on where you are in that situation. It's like having a boss that you don't like, but they might sometimes be your best boss ever in the sense that they lead you a certain place. Like, I've had some over the years in the beginning, especially in my career, that that would have reduced me to tears, but I would still look back 20 years later and say that that, that helped shape me into the person I became. But then I've also had ones who have been a bit more warmer or fuzzier, so to speak, and have also helped in a different way. So it might be at where you are, if you were taking this, da- dumbing it down to just a local level of, you know, your premier is like the, the boss of the province, so your boss of your newsroom or your shop or whatever. I think it depends who you are and where you are in terms of how that helps you be led. Let's be honest. There are some people who are comfortable in sharing who they are and their personality in front of a microphone that are much better at it one-on-one or at just maybe a, a birthday party or an intimate gathering. Brian Pallister may, may simply be that individual, but I look no further than sport. You talk about a boss, mm-hmm. I'll use the analogy of sport. And Brian Pallister uses this analogy a lot because he was a great athlete. There are a lot of coaches that I played football for or soccer that, boy, oh boy, you did not want to cross them and you did not want to be on their bad side, but they had an ability to teach you something and for it to stick. And so you look back fondly on your time playing for those individuals because they held you accountable. And I think that that's what a lot of people are looking for Brian Pallister to do. And that's to hold the 
the balance sheet of Manitoba accountable. That's his job. That's what he said, said he was here to do, and that's what he intends to do, and he intends to finish the job. Okay, so using sports analogies again, because yes, that's something that he's comfortable with, and you just used one. So using the coach as an example, there's a personality factor, there's a promise factor, but then there's also a relatability factor. And so you might also have had coaches over the years that have never played the sport like you did or weren't in that same level as you, but are now telling you what to do. So you struggle to relate to them and think they don't relate to me. And so I also wonder though, for some Manitobans, is there a relatability issue to our current leader because of where he now lives, you know, in a bigger house and different economic stratus and all the rest. And so when you're talking about relating to everyday Manitobans, does that exist out there for everyone? Well, I think you could definitely make an argument for that. I've made a suggestion that based on the amount of time that that Premier Pallister, and it's totally within his right to do it. Sure. It's the same can be said about Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau. He comes from a different different uh, economic stratus. He's now trying to talk to middle income earners all the time, right? Is there a genuine ability to do that based on the fact that you and I, Brett McGarry, might get to a tropical climate once every five years or maybe never in our lives. 2008, I think, was the last There time you go. Me. So that makes it a little <laughs> bit difficult to relate, I'm now just perhaps. sad for you. <laughs> Actually, no, it might have been. I was 28 at the time, so it would have been 2006, maybe, 2007. So there's that difference, and then, of course, the economic strata that, that Premier Pallister lives. That, that makes him uh, unrelatable for a, a lot of people. You, Going back to the sports thing, players, coaches, you've heard that terminology, I'm sure. They don't always win championships. They can, and they have, but there's still a feeling, I think, that sometimes you need someone that... um, Walk the walk. Walks the walk, talks the talk, and and, uh, sets boundaries and perimeters and parameters for you to uh, work within. So let the uh, debate continue. Let it start. This is my favorite Def Leppard really? song. Yes, this huh. is my favorite Def Leppard song. I just love it. It just makes me so happy. It's so upbeat. And uh, I think it's from like 1997. We just had this conversation a couple weeks ago, Greg. Is it 97? I'm listening to the song. <laughs> Greg's distracted. Would it help if they played this song behind them when they make election promises, Brett? Would that make you listen more? Or would I'm, you just be distracted by the song? I would be distracted by the song. All right. Well, we want to talk promises because... The message is good, right? Yeah. I don't make promises that I can't, can't keep. keep. That's, That's the, the bottom whole point. line. So in the last half hour, we talked about personality. Does that matter to you if a leader is a likable or relatable? And now we want to talk about the promises that they're making because you'll hear at least one new promise, that's my guess, daily in this month-long provincial campaign. Like the NDP's yesterday, leader Wab Canoe repeatedly saying that one of the biggest issues he'll campaign on is health care. So now he's pushing forward his promise to reverse some of the decisions made over the past few years by the Conservatives, like the closure of the emergency rooms at Concordia and Seven Oaks. Uh, budgeted $8 million to pay for the reopening of the Seven Oaks and Concordia emergency rooms. So essentially it'll be $4 million each uh, per year, and that's an ongoing commitment. In addition to that, we have set aside uh, money to add bed spaces across the, ho- the hospitals around Winnipeg. We'll be working with the nurses, we'll be working with the frontline experts to identify the great areas of greatest need, and we will target the new beds uh, to where they are needed so that Manitobans can get good quality health care close to home. I like specific numbers. I like the idea of giving me a promise with a specific number attached to it. $8 million seems unrealistic to me, but at least you've gone to the effort to try and figure out what it's going to cost. Turn on McNabb's microphone. There we go. Yeah, that, I was going to say that I think other leaders have come under attack before. They make promises and then you say, okay, well, how are you going to pay for that? What's the plan? When's the rollout? What's the execution date? And they don't have the specifics. So that for me is something I always listen for, for promises. And I, I'm not big on generalities, although they get said a lot. So here's another kind of promise you might hear over the next little while. Uh, this, is, this one came from Brian Pallister yesterday. Our guarantee to Manitobans for lower taxes, better services, and an even stronger economy. A guarantee for increasing important strategic health care investment. 
a guarantee for building new schools, a guarantee for creating even more jobs, a guarantee for a made in Manitoba green plan, not an NDP liberal rising carbon tax, and a guarantee that we will roll back the taxes the average Manitoban pays by $2,020 over the next four years. I think he said guarantee five or six times. I get it's day one, so there'll be more specifics. I'm guessing coming out from them beyond just guaranteeing more schools. Well, how many schools are you talking about? A guarantee to roll back your taxes. Well, what percentage point per year? How will that work? What will the dollar be for the average Manitoban? Those, I, I don't doubt those will come out. But when you make big promises like that, you better have backing to them. Well, I don't like words like lower, better, stronger, strategic. I mean, I like them. They appeal to my senses, and I listen, and my ears perk up. But I did hear two specific promises. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, not the number of schools promised, but okay. Building more, more schools? Okay. Yeah, more. There, there's another word. And then he did use a very specific number, about $2,200 for- Back in you your know, pocket. That, back in your pocket. And one of our text messengers said uh, earlier this morning that uh, th- that is a concern for them as well. They know somebody that lives in Saskatchewan that makes about the same amount of money that uh, ends up with an extra $2,230 a year based on the tax structure in Manitoba versus the tax structure in Saskatchewan. So there is an idea there that somebody's listening and somebody's trying to put pen to paper, Mm -hmm. but I don't like the big superlatives. You know, tell me how you're going to do this. We can do better. Okay. Yeah, how? How? And how are you going to go about it? There was a time that one of the sayings... uh, when the premier was first elected, was that we'll be the most improved province what in Manitoba. So what's our benchmarks for that? Is that jobs? Is that how many people live here? Is that the GDP? Is that growth in the economy? Like, what is that for everybody, right? And it might be different for you, too. You could say that it's the most improved province, but if you had a bad day in the ER, you're not feeling that way. Or if your road really sucked, you're not feeling that way. And a lot of it is emotion. Let's face it. We vote on emotion. Our largest pur- purchase that we ever make, a home, we know that there's a lot of emotion involved in that. We make our decisions emotionally very often. And it, it sometimes doesn't matter that when you're sitting down, you're doing the spreadsheet of your expenses versus income, and you go, we can't really afford this house, but you, but I want it. And you find a way to do it. And then down the road, you find out that maybe you shouldn't have made that decision. Well, quite often, that's the way we make our political decisions as well, if we care that much about it. Talking about the provincial election. Well, there's a different election that Jimmy Kimmel wants to get involved in. Late night, com- uh, looks like this is falling to me, is it? To say this word at 7, yeah, 17 in I, the I morning? Yeah, I wanted you to do it first, at least. <laughs> you don't want to say it? I have no problem saying it. It's on the map. I'm a proud Canadian. Late night comedian Jimmy Kimmel is on a serious mission to become the mayor of a small Canadian town. Its name is Dildo Newfoundland. <laughs> and earlier this month, Jimmy Kimmel went on a show to declare his fascination with the community of about 1,200. One of his quotes was, how did we not know about this? I feel like Canada's been hiding their dildo from us. <laughs> and late last week, he int- the way you two have been laughing like you're in grade six right now and just learned a new hey, word. I want something like- clear. My neighbor is from dildo. I met his parents <laughs> cool. this last week. Yeah. They've got a brewing company there. I got to get Brett a t-shirt of this place, by the way. Oh, but yes. So there's no... Uh, I have very, uh, I'm just going to leave that alone. (laughs) I just about said something that I can't take back. (laughs) So late last week, Jimmy Kimmel interviewed a few people from the Newfoundland town, and he asked them if they thought he could become their next leader. I know you don't have a mayor. I would like to officially declare my candidacy to become mayor of Dildo. Now... because I don't live there and I've never actually been there. But what do you think my chances are? Slim to none because you got to come to Newfoundland and get screeched in. Okay, I didn't understand any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can can someone translate for me? Uncle John, what did he say? Oh, you get screeched in. Uh, You got to come and kiss the cod. You got to do what? Kiss the cod and drink the screech to get drunk. Oh my goodness! We're gonna need a 
I'm going to need to learn to speak dildo before we go there. <laughs> so kiss the cod, kiss drink the cod, drink and drink the, the screech. screech. You got to get screeched in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Alcohol. It's the alcohol for Newfoundland. Anyway, they've got a ton of interest from it. The premier has reached out to Kimmel, saying, uh, "You know, come on up, come visit." I think he sent like one of his crew. He has his, his sidekick. Yeah. Yep. So kind of a funny story. Very uh, got a lot of laughs from us this morning. Yeah, that is uh, just outstanding dildo there. I got it out as well. And in studio with us, we have a special guest, Greg Mackling, who is sitting to your left. Well, he uh, sort of runs things uh, down at IG Field. Uh, his name's Wade Miller. <laughs> that's what it says on his business card. That's what it says. Yeah. I sort of sort run of things run around things. here. Yeah, do everything down here for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Wade, thanks for uh, popping in. Great Thank to you. see you. Uh, it was a good week uh, last week at, at IG Field. Uh, bombers over Stampeders, 26-24. Obviously looking to continue that seven-game home winning streak. Absolutely. Starting to feel some momentum and 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 sense that that IG field is becoming a place where your team has a genuine home field advantage. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that develop over the years. And now uh, you know you can tell teams don't like coming into IG field, and that's because of our fans and how loud it is. And uh, when their offense is on that field, it's uh, tough for them to hear. Tough for me to hear myself think uh, when when the fans are uh, cheering and going uh, you know as loud as they can. So a different reason than. Teams hated coming to Winnipeg mm-hmm. when you lived in the old stadium because yeah, they used to that like was the, a facility yeah, issue. And, and now the facilities are too nice for the visiting team. <laughs> I've tried to rough it up in there a little bit. It looks too nice in there. But yeah, no, they don't like stepping on that field and uh, playing our team and uh, number one and then our fans. So, so they wanted to, of course, there's the game on Thursday versus BC, but we wanted to talk to you about the intercept cancer game. What's that? Yeah, so uh, this is us uh, playing off of uh, the pink game that we've had and tying it together and making it a little more broader. Uh, you know, so talking about the uh, cancers that are preventable and working with cancer care. So one of the unique things we'll be doing this year is actually the uh, players, spouses and partners will be selling white cowbells at each one of the gates when you walk in for $20. They're all autographed by players and four lucky fans will actually be, if you buy one of those white cowbells, four fans will actually come down after the game into the tunnel outside the locker room and meet some of the players uh, for buying one of those. And Lawson Sales is going to match the first uh, $20,000 of of the um, fundraiser. So it's a great initiative and uh, just a great way to uh, support cancer care. Really a win-win there because then you raise the money for cancer and it's such an important cause. And then, of course, you just have more cowbells in the stadium. We we just added a a lot of cowbells. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's great. And uh, uh, we look forward to uh, being able to do that this Thursday night. Can we talk about something a little controversial? Sure. How about that Saskatchewan-Montreal game? Gets called with just over three minutes left in the third quarter. They don't play the fourth quarter. 60 minutes, this new rule. Did you know it was coming in? Did you know that this was going to be a thing? And and whether you knew it was coming in or not, can I ask you how you feel about it? Because of all the places that knows about enduring a weather delay, yeah. it's it's Winnipeg. Yeah, so um, through the collective bargaining process with our players, uh, which I was involved in, uh, you know, Winnipeg delays were definitely discussed. Uh, it's a lot related to player safety and, and how long can a player wait. Uh, and we had some in Winnipeg that were up to three hours. And, and as you see across the country, weather's just getting a little more unpredictable. So we had to come up with a, a rule. Obviously, um, seeing that outcome and where it was, that's something we're going to have to look at and adjust with our player association uh, to make uh, you know a modification of that. Hopefully, uh, that's where I'd be supporting. I just want to read the rule for those that's that don't say, know what it. Specifically, yeah. is I'll the read rule. it specifically uh, to the letter. Actually, the CFL weather protocol established in 2019 allows for games to be declared final when a game is stopped after the midway seven minute, 30 second mark of the third quarter. If a one hour delay does not allow for the resumption of the game, only when the safety of players, fans and others at risk, uh, the game will be suspended. So that's what happened in Montreal on Friday night. So the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got a whole quarter 
of mm-hmm. the game off, and yeah. uh, they end up uh, with a five and three record. So the fact that it's Saskatchewan probably doesn't. And that's doesn't why I, think help I was going to say. I think that's a tough one because I can appreciate the safety angle, and then I'd also think there'd be a time when you were. I mean, you were a player, Wade. I mean, you want to finish the game. You don't want to lose like that no. or win like that. Really? No, 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 for sure. But it's also you know, so it's finding that balance, and maybe we're a little far. Uh, you know, maybe that that hour needs to be extended a little further. But, you know, when you've been there already, mm-hmm. you think of players that have been there for five hours already. You know, they just don't show up at the time fans do for a game. Uh, you know, so so it's a long day Not already. Not to mention your staff. Yeah, and all correct. The rest. You know, so like we have a lot of experience at IG Field. And, you know, the old rule, which has been in place for a long time, was you show back up the next game the next day if the game's suspended. I'm not sure fans want to show up, and it's not healthy for players to be showing up the next day to play. So so it's something as a league that we're looking at. And it's different than baseball. A lot of people point to baseball sure. and say, oh, they wait for hours and hours and they play a game. Hey, you play two games of Major League Baseball in one day sometimes. Don't yep. be comparing baseball right. to football. There's a gigantic difference uh, between the way the, the players Correct. get ready and and yep. all the effort that's, that's required to play the game. So. I wanted to talk to you something about something else that's controversial, and that's the suggestion that you have a new food item that the three of us <laughs> could not handle. What that, is this? That, that's correct. For this game, you know, we like to have a little fun in our food and beverage, and uh, this game we have uh, the Walby Burger. Uh, limited supply is available of the Walby Burger at the Red Zone Grills. Okay, so here's what you'd have to eat if you finish it, and it's on one bun. So the bun is the size of a dinner plate. Oh, my God. Okay, so that's where it starts. The size of a dinner plate. Okay. Six hamburger patties. Oh, come on. Six chicken tenders. Oh, Stacked? Like you're stacking. Yeah, yeah, it's all stacked. all burger, then all chicken? Yeah. Okay. Six hot dogs, six pieces of cheese. Come on. The chef's special sauce, onions, lettuce, tomatoes, everything you can imagine on this Walby's burger. Only Chris Walby should have this burger named after him. Is it $63? Well, it should be. Uh, we're only doing it for, I think it's 46 So it's That's a, not bad. It's yeah. a very it's reasonable. It's a family meal. You could get that and oh, share yeah. it with the oh, kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned $63 because that's the number, number Chris yeah. Walby wore. Not everybody knows that, so I just wanted to make yeah, sure. It should be $63, but it's, uh, so they're limited edition, limited supply of these things. Uh, and these buns, like it is huge. So as I said, I don't believe that three of you, you could, could be polish correct. it off. What does that yeah. weigh? Oh, sorry. Sorry, let me... I forgot. There's also french fries in there, too. <laughs> oh, my God. So, hang on. So, bun, six burgers, chicken fingers... Hot dogs. Hot dog, french cheese. fries, cheese, yeah. onions, special sauce. Right. Like, what is it? What is it, a foot high? Like uh, a- it's... it's. Uh, I don't know if it's a foot high, but it weighs five and a half pounds. <laughs> that is amazing. How's oh, it- I'm so tempted. So, if somebody goes to the game to- or on Thursday and wants to get the Wallaby Burger, do they have to order it ahead of time? Like- no, come to the Red Zone Grill, yeah. and they'll be ready to make it. You just be patient. It's going to take a minute or two to put this uh, I want to call car ahead. together. Yeah, so. call, call at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to be wanting one of those Wallaby Burgers, please. Can you have one ready for yeah. me around It reminds me of, what's the scene from The Great Outdoors with John Candy, and he ate that huge... Oh, the big steak. The big, and then he gets... Do I get a shirt at the end? Like, I, we were I ate do the shirts, Wallaby Burger? But I don't think we want to encourage overeating of one person. So, yes, definitely split it with a few. Yeah, I yeah. would say... I was thinking of Primanti Brothers in Pittsburgh, where they put the uh, french fries on the sandwiches already. So, that's, that, that is, sounds awesome. Hey, before we let you go, Wade, we got to mention that uh, the latest Neighborhood Night with Boston Pizza, Neighborhood Nights is tonight, uh, BP Birchwood, 2517 Portage Avenue. This is happening uh, Tuesdays before home games. How's it been going so far? Oh, it's been, uh, there's lineups uh, at the Boston Pizza for the Neighborhood Nights and, and people showing up in their bomber jerseys and gear. Make sure you put your bomber clothes on and it's been phenomenal. We have players out there, the dance and cheer team are out there, Buzz and Boomer. It's for the whole family to come out and it's just part of our, our connection to the neighborhoods and with those neighborhood flags. And it's just a, an addition to that. And Boston Pizza has been a great supporter of that. And it's, uh, but yeah, been lineups and you, tough to get a seat. So make sure you get there early. Those flags are fantastic. Great idea. Whoever came up with that. Yeah. Another, another 20 flags coming over the next, uh, probably in the next two weeks. Just with based, new names? New and, names okay. based on demand in, in, throughout the province. Uh, we've added a new tw- uh, another twenty of them. So nice. Hmm, cool. One of our listeners says no bacon on that burger. I'm out. Oh, come on, <laughs> come on. Can, can you add bacon to no. it? No. Come on. There's chicken fingers. I, I don't think. Uh, but we'll do. Don't worry. There'll be other ones with bacon coming. 
We'll we'll have something else. <laughs> that burger sounds tremendous. I want to see it and get my hands on yeah. it. Wade Miller, thank you very much for popping in. Right now, we want to talk about this tragedy. We've been telling you about that devastating barn fire, Lorenz, southeast of Winnipeg. The blaze that tore through several structures, killing hundreds of dairy cattle. And while we don't yet know the cause, the Humane Society is weighing in with its overall concerns. Here's its tweet, writing, Over 800 dairy cattle have perished in a barn fire near Steinbach, Manitoba. The Winnipeg Humane Society strongly advocates for a complete revision of current animal housing standards to mitigate barn fires from occurring. So to explain what they meant by that tweet, we're joined now by Brittany Semyuk, animal welfare expert with the Winnipeg Humane Society. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning. What's the concern there? What needs to change as far as as Winnipeg Humane Society is feeling? So there are a few different concerns in this particular instance. Um, Essentially, any time that livestock, whether we're talking about dairy cattle or chickens or pigs, are intensively confined, um, it's a major welfare concern. And the animals do have a very, very low quality of life. Um, and then you mix in different changes that have occurred to the building code regulations where they have removed a lot of the fire safety um, regulations that were previously needed. It's just a recipe for disaster and thousands and thousands of animals under a single roof with no chance to escape is a huge welfare concern for us. So Brittany, is the fact that more and more animals are allowed to be under roof, under the same square footage versus some time ago, the concern? Is that what has changed over the years or are there other changes in terms of fire code that have you concerned? Um, there are a few different changes, so I'll try to first explain the, the changes to the fire code. Just stick with me on this one. Um, essentially, the Manitoba Farm Building Act in 2017 got incorporated into the Manitoba Building Code. So when that happened, barns and different farm structures got classified into two separate categories, one that was low human occupancy and the other was high human occupancy. Then in late 2017, when the Red Tape Reduction Act also got passed through Parliament, um, it cut back a lot of the regulations needed for low human occupancy buildings because they were deemed less of a risk to human safety. So that included things like full fire alarm systems, uh, full sprinkler systems, and full fire stop systems. So despite the fact that these barns could have as I mentioned before, thousands of animals under a single roof, they were deemed a low safety risk, and therefore a lot of a lot of their uh, previous safety measures were removed or not necessarily needed to be placed into new barns that were built. Um, so that is a huge concern for us because when we talk about the welfare of animals, we also want to ensure their safety in emergency situations. But it is also the fact that um, historic, historically, throughout North America, the past few decades, we've seen such a drastic change where it's no longer the family farm. It's intensive confinement of animals for maximum production. And anytime you, you confine hundreds and thousands of animals together, you're not able to have them carry out their natural behaviors. You're not able to give them high quality of lives. Um, and so it's all kind of incorporated into that, why we are advocating for the improved welfare of all farm animals. So again, we don't know the specifics of this fire, the cause behind it. We do know there were several structures, so it wasn't necessarily a thousand cattle all under one roof. We don't know the layout of what may have happened there. So I appreciate you're speaking more about generalities here, about general concerns potentially with the industry. Uh, so we're reaching out to the dairy farmers of Manitoba to get them to react to this, but just they did react yesterday to the fire in general. And I'd like to play this clip from David Weens, chair of the dairy farmers of Manitoba. Granted, these aren't like the family pet that are, you know, sleeping on the bed or or by the fire. But at the same point, I get the feeling that farmers don't consider these as just profit. They really care about these animals and this will hurt very personally for this family. And that's what makes it so difficult because farmers know their cows and, you know, every cow has has a personality of its own and uh, what we do is you know we look after our animals that's that's how we identify ourselves it's what we take pride in and and when there's a loss like this that that comes on so quickly and 
seemingly helpless to be able to do anything about it. It's uh, yes, it, it's it's much more than than just the the loss. So again, uh, that was David Weens, chair of the Dairy Farmers of Manitoba. He used the word helpless. And again, we don't know the specifics of this fire to the Steinbeck barn, Brittany, but we're talking to the Winnipeg Humane Society about your bigger concerns. Have you taken them back to the province, taken them back to the officials and saying this can't be the way we're doing things? And, and is there any suggestions to kind of find a middle ground here? Uh, we have um, done various. For this particular instance, we haven't yet um, reached out, but for previous barn fires, because they are quite prevalent within our province, um, just last May we had over 27,000 chickens perish in a barn fire. So we have reached out to the Minister of Agriculture and various other members of Parliament, um, and that's something that we really encourage the public to do as well, because there are different, there's the federal and the provincial elections coming up, and um, the more that the members of Parliament feel that this is an issue that their constituents care about, um, the more impact we can have. So that's something we always encourage people to do. Brittany Seminuk is an animal, animal welfare expert at the Winnipeg Humane Society, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brittany, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you guys are just having a conversation out in the news meeting about summer burnout. Well, I was saying to you guys this morning that I've gotten to the point, we've had a great summer and I, I'm, we've been so blessed to have, A, our weather was really good for all our weeks off. I'm sorry to anyone who might be off this week because it hasn't been as nice. It's rainy out. It's a little bit cooler. Kind of even feels like fall in the morning. But the summer has been incredible. So I'm grateful for that. But I have gotten to the stage in our house. You know, I got home from work yesterday and we have rules about, video games and screen time and all those kinds of things. And you're tired. You've been spending the summer entertaining your kids. You've gone on trips. You've done fun things with them and bike rides and crafts and park and all the rest. And so it's like conversation is, can I play? Can I get on my Nintendo Switch? Yeah. Can I watch a movie? Sure. I'm having chips for breakfast. I don't care. Like, <laughs> you're just sort of at this point that you've done all these, you've worked so hard to create the best possible summer that now in these, as it winds down, I'm sort of thinking, okay, I got to come up with a few more things. Like it's not over yet. We got three, two and a half weeks left before the kids are back to school. I got to get to get it together. Like I'm, but I don't have any more ideas. Well, I'm looking at the and calendar. They don't want to go along with mom on a bike ride anymore or to the splash pad. Now, unfortunately, you're right. It is two and a half weeks. Uh, although three, maybe three weeks, right? Because uh, a lot of the kids don't go back to the Wednesday after the long weekend. But summer is, for all intents and purposes, over come Labor Day weekend. We get back into our regular routines, mm-hmm. and, and that can be a little bit daunting as well. You were mentioning in the news meeting, Loren, the idea of setting your schedule, and people want to set your schedule for the fall. Like, Why are we talking about, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have anxiety from a text fall. I got this morning about lessons for the kids, some of their music lessons, and I, he's like, do you want Monday? Do you want Wednesday? Do you want Friday? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Why are you <laughs> asking, asking me this? Stop asking me. I'm not ready for this yet. So I'm kind of like tense, and I'm, a, I'm trying to think of how to keep things fun, but at the same time, you have to kind of slip back in to a bit of a planning mode for fall. There is a reason why Staples calls it the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year, because there are a lot of parents who are ready for their kids to go back to school. They're done with the planning of the excursions and of the day trips and of all the things that you need to do to keep your kids uh, occupied, keep them out of trouble, and and hopefully keeping them learning and, and engaged throughout the summer as well. And Brett, you were with me yesterday, lots of people asking how my summer's been, you going on a holiday. And it's like, yeah, I'm got a great trip to San Diego planned. Oh, that sounds great. You must be looking forward to it. Well, not really. Not because I'm not looking forward to going to where I'm going. I'm just not looking forward to the fact that the day I get on the plane is August 24th and the day I come back is August 31st. I'm not looking forward to that part of it. It is funny how that burnout sets in. Even when it comes to these things that we look forward to so much, like for example, I think of Christmas time and it's, I love that time of year and my social calendar gets filled up in like November because, uh, because I don't have kids. I try to occupy myself by hanging out with my friends. And so they're all, it's almost like a lottery. As soon as I, I feel like kind of like it's like, it's a lottery that my friends are trying to get on, get in on like, what are you available this date? No, already booked. How about this date? No, already booked. <laughs> Can you do this date? No. When are you available? So like by November 15th, my entire month of December is booked and it's awesome. 
But by the end, it's just, I'm so exhausted. And the same thing kind of happens in the summertime where I look forward to summer all year long, but there's always something going on. There's festivals and there's things you want to check out. But then I often think usually one of my favorite times of the year is October, partly because on come Friday, I just want to sit at home and eat a pizza and watch TV and talk to no one. Well, they joke about how winter you gain weight. And I always think that's funny. Like for sure, you're more active in the summer, but you're just socializing so much more. You're doing so much more. You're eating, like you said, every weekend is a festival or a friend or or whatever. If you weren't golfing, you know, like... It, like you have to balance that all out, but you it's a great time. But then it's also, it can be like mentally exhausting too to squeeze that all in. Well, eight weekends, that's all there is. Sure. Right? And so you get the, invi- you mentioned the invitation to this, the invitation to that. And it's like, yes, I want to do, yeah, I want to do. Last weekend, we did nothing. And it was great. It was actually, it was spectacular. I had one obligation the entire weekend and it was Friday night to go to the Canada-Nigeria basketball game. And other than that, did not have to be anywhere, had no commitments whatsoever. Nice. And so I think it's starting to get that way for a lot of people as well, that that we are suddenly being inundated with requests for commitments for September, October, November, and at the same time sort of trying to wring every last beautiful day and a little bit of freedom that goes along with summer. The forecast looks pretty good for the rest of the week. Yes. After we get through tomorrow, Which I guess. Which is why I'm going to ghost it Thursday or Friday. Yeah. I'm nice, just waiting. Nice timing. Like I'm going to wake up, check the forecast every day, and then I just won't be here. I look forward to finding that out. <laughs> I look out. forward to you not being here. No, I'm just, I look forward to like, when is she not going to be here? It's going to be sort of this mystery. What day is Loren not going to be here? We'll look at the clock and we see at 4.35, McNabb's not here yet. I guess it's just me and you today, Oh, Greg. we'll look at the forecast. Oh, 27 and sunny. Okay, that makes sense. There's a good correlation. <laughs> it is an interesting contrast, too, to see how, as grown-ups now, we talk about being burnt out in the summer, whereas I remember as a kid, I... Just wanted more. Like, give me more mm-hmm. summer, man. I don't want to go back to school. This was my least. This is this was always the the sort of the 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 blessing and curse of the summer. Summer is great, but it's not even August. Right like, by the end of July, the back to school signs are already out. The commercials oh. driving me crazy. Or I just said to the kids last night, like, sorry, we're we're gonna scale back this bedtime because I've kind of let it get out of control in summer, so that we can all have a good time. And I was like, okay, we're, we're moving the bedtime back. It won't be like a school bedtime, but it's, we're going to be a bit smarter. Maybe we'll do 9.30 tonight or something. What? How many days till school? And they're, they're counting, like, <laughs> went to the calendar, and they're, like, just mad. Like, why would you do this to us? It's summer. And then I'd be like, go read a book. It's summer. Like, go go do some math. It's summer. And your routine is just, like, out the window. We had no bigger conversation on Sunday evening. We went to... Uh, my favorite place to get a hot dog, we went up to uh, Henderson Highway in Lockport. You know mm, the place. Yes. My boys pointed out, Dad, it's not really a half moon. It's more of a crescent moon. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're on our way back having the conversation about bedtime. And you would have thought that we were trying to confiscate every single video game, tablet, and or electronic like device you're in them. the house. It's not fair. That time's a ridiculous. Ridiculous time for a bedtime. <laughs> Why do we ever get to 10.30? Really? That's ridiculous for a 13-year-old? I don't think that's ridiculous. Well, that, 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 that's just not acceptable. And they're trying to negotiate everything. Everything's a negotiation. I don't, I don't want smarter kids. I, I think I like when my kids are just a little bit more passive, but that's the, the trade-off. But the bedtime is the big negotiation right now, and I, I quite frankly can't stand it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren, you said that there was a text message you wanted to read about what to do with your kids as you as a parent get burnt out. Well, you're struggling at this time of year. Some of us are. Just got to think of different activities. You've had a great summer. What do you do with them now that there's still a couple of weeks left? You might be trying to get them back into a routine, which I'm in the process of doing, saying, you know, like an earlier bedtime is not going to hurt you because in a couple of weeks, you're, you're going to have to be up at 6.30 or 7, right? Oh, come on. And that results in, well, how about 8.30? 8.35? 8.37? 8.38? Like my youngest will just go minute by minute. Sounds like I, our clock in the morning. <laughs> at 8.37, we're going to get away tickets. Exactly. At 8.38, we're talking to the premier. 8.30. He'll be like, 8.32? Like, as if he even understands what two, two minutes, minutes mean, right? And I'm always like, stop negotiating. This isn't a negotiation. I'm your mother. And so one of our listeners just texted to say that 
We call my daughter the terrorist to remind us that we don't negotiate with terrorists. John says this about negotiating with regard to bedtime. There's no negotiation. Our kids go to bed. If there's any stress about going to bed the night before, I wake them up at 4.30 in the morning the next day. Wow. Yep. He's 4.30. A, I think he's a farmer, right? He is. So he takes them out fencing. He said he had them doing 12 to 15 yeah. hour days. So yeah. that'll, that'll teach you to complain about hey, your bedtime. There is no po- more powerful message than this. If you do not complete your education, if you do not do the things that you're expected to do, here's here's what life is going to look like for the next 65 years. Now, you might want to do this, and that would be fine if you want to do it, but if you don't really like getting your hands dirty and working 17, 18 hours a day at manual labor, once again, if you like it, no problem. But if you don't like it... There is a solution to that, and I think there's something to be said about giving kids a taste of what happens if they don't fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. I like it. We were talking about bedtimes and summer burnout and what do you do with the kids, and we got uh, some, some more amusing feedback here. Well, Greg, Jack writes to say, when my kids were younger, they would try to negotiate to stay up later, and so I would make it earlier, say if they wanted to have a bedtime of stay up until nine, I'd say eight. If they said eight, I'd make it seven thirty. And after a while, they stopped negotiating and went to bed without arguing at eight thirty. Worked every time. I like it. These just taking away. Yeah. You, you want to stay up till nine? Eight. You want to go? I. You want to stay up until eight? Seven. In my house, you can often hear me going. You want to go for? You want to go for eight thirty? Keep going. You want to go for eight? No, 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 no. Yeah, so uh, I'm familiar with that With that taking away. The more that you push for something, the more I'm going to take away from you. So I like that negotiation tactic. I like it a lot. Is it fun? Like, uh, just, uh, it sort now, of is. Now that you're a parent uh, who wants to. Hold on, what time this. is it? I just got to make are sure. They, are they up? Yeah, oh, th- well, they might not be up. They didn't have anything to do today. Uh, yeah, I'm okay ca- talking about this. I don't want to give away any secrets, right? I just wonder because this is not something that I have experienced. But I, when I go to my friends' places and see the way that they're when their kids talk back, it, when they leave the room, like when you were a kid and you talk back to your parents, it was such a monumental event. Sure. Like, oh my god, what did I just do? Uh, or am I going to get in trouble? But as soon as the kid leaves, we all just kind of turn and look at each other and laugh. <laughs> it's like I can't believe the audacity of There's that. There's a threshold age for that. I don't know if it's five, six, or seven when it's sort of they're gaining their independence yeah. and they found their own voice. And it's cute, funny. Yeah, it's cute, funny. But when they're into double digits and they start talking to you like that. That's when the gloves really can come well, off sometimes. They, they know that what those words mean. When they're yes. younger, it's kind of like, do you even know what you just said? Like I went canoeing with the kids a couple of weeks ago at Clear Lake and I was just me and the two boys and I got kind of caught in this situation where I'm paddling across the lake and the wind was coming and, and I don't have my husband there. So you're, I'm basically paddling alone and I wasn't worried, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And I'm muttering under my breath, like a couple swear words in this boat and, you know, I'm dropping a few, thinking like they're just talking to each other and paddling. And then the six-year-old repeated word for word, like... <laughs> All the terrible things I just said, and then I'm thank God he can't see me because I'm dying laughing. But I'm like, you can't say those things. Oh, you just did, and isn't that a boat a blankety blank blank blank? And I'm like, yeah, that boat is actually all those things. Fine, let it all out. We're in the middle of the lake. Say what you want, but when we get back to land, man, those words need to be parked. So they're different. Rules for right. language on the sea versus right. on the shore. Yes, that was salty sea language. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the question. Were you up at 2 a.m. today? Pretty close. Yeah, same here. At 2.35 is when my first alarm went off. So but did you see it? Did I you? did not. It's cloudy out. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the bad news. There supposedly were dozens or hundreds or thousands, depending of where you were, Shooting stars or meteors falling from the sky. I'm going to say this wrong, I'm sure. Perceived meteor shower? Perseid meteor shower? It was on display across Canada this morning. And while it technically peaked a few hours ago, while we were under cloud and rain, there is some good news because it's not over yet. Scott Young is with the Planetarium and joins us now to tell us a bit more about this. But first, Scott, am I, how do I say this? You know, Perseid is the way that I say it, but it's one of those things, there's, there's lots of variation. Good. So I was right. 
You were absolutely right. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you weren't wrong. Let's categorize yeah, right. it that way. You weren't, you weren't wrong, Loren. <laughs> well, Scott, thanks for joining us. Okay, so this is something that no comes problem. once a year? Yeah, it's an annual event every year around August 12th or so. Um, basically, the Earth goes through a big cloud of dust in, in space, kind of like a, you know, the dust bunnies that sometimes hide under your couch? Well, there's, there's things like that in space as well that are left behind by comets that go around the sun. And so every time at the same time of year, the Earth goes hurtling through this cosmic dust bunny, and each of those little pieces of dust hits the Earth at, you know, 70 or 80 kilometers a second. And it just vaporizes in the, because of the heat. It, it hits our atmosphere and burns up in the atmosphere. So it, there's no danger or anything like that, but it gives off so much energy that we can see it all the way down here on the ground, and we call it a falling star, a shooting star, a meteor. Um, and so last night was a really, really good, up above the clouds, was a really, really good show going on. And, it, and as you mentioned, it is still going on now. So, Scott, I feel as though some corporation should be putting their name on this. You know, the, the, take Percy, nobody can say it, like Dyson, maybe with your dust bunny analogy, maybe they should be sponsoring this meteor shower and just claim it as their own because... Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I don't know. We could work on that together. But is yeah, this I seen... think we'll do an event. We'll get a sponsor for that. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Let's go. We'll talk afterwards. Yeah. But is this seen all over the world because we hear about some of these uh, phenomenon... Uh, I guess the best example in my mind would be solar eclipses. They're better seen in certain parts of the world at different times, depending on when they're coming through. Is this something that people all around the world can see? Yeah, that's the great thing about meteor showers is that basically the entire world has a pretty good view of it, uh, weather dependent, of course. But other than that, if you've got clear skies, you'll probably be able to see it. And it doesn't require telescopes or any kind of special cameras or things like that. I mean, literally the best accessory is one of those reclining lawn chairs and you just go to a a spot where it's nice and dark away from any uh, city lights, park your lawn chair out with your friends and just sit back and look at the sky and the meteors, you know, they, we call it a meteor shower, but it's more like a meteor trickle really. Like you see a meteor every minute or so, which is way more than you would see on any other given night, of course, but it's still not, you know, millions of them falling out of the sky all at once. But it is pretty cool to just sit back and see these little pieces of cosmic dust burn up. And sometimes you'll get like two or three all in a row and then a gap of four or five minutes and then another little cluster. Sometimes they're more spread out. Every once in a while, you get one of these really, really bright ones that just lights up the whole sky and casts shadows. And, you know, it's, it, it's uh, you never know exactly what you're going to get. But uh, there are a couple of uh, tips and tricks that you can sort of use to, to improve your view. How often do the meteors actually make their way to the ground? Well, from these meteor showers, never, because they're literally just pieces of dust, and none of those can survive the uh, the passage through the atmosphere, sort of the re-entry. If you, if you saw Apollo 13, you know, when they're coming back to Earth with the big fireball, mm-hmm. uh, a piece of dust doesn't last through that. Um, and, and these meteor showers that are regular... They're all from objects that just leave tiny little pieces. The, the big bright ones that sometimes make it down to the ground as meteorites, um, we almost never see those coming. And they're, they're usually, uh, you know, sort of out of the blue um, on random nights. Are there areas of the world or country where you would see more of those, the ones, the meteorites that actually touch ground? Um, not really. It has more to do with how much time you spend out under the sky, pretty much. I mean, there are folks that, that go out watching meteors on a regular basis, and they're going to see more of them because they're, they're pretty much spread out. There is a bit of a peak in, in sort of mid-April for some reason. There's a few extra bright meteors uh, around that time. But uh, other than that, it's, it's really kind of one of those, um, you, you really never know what to expect other than you're going to see some meteors. Scott, last time you were here, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but three weekends ago, I was out at the at my friend's cottage, and uh, we were looking at the sky. It was beautiful, brilliant, clear night, and I think it was Venus might have been in the southern sky, and we were admiring that, and at the same time, another friend of ours had some sort of app open on their phone, and we watched as the International Space Station went across the sky. It lasted for all of about 20 seconds, but it was a bright green light. Where can I get the schedule for the International Space Station so that I, I can see it again? It was spectacular. Yeah, it's really, really cool to see. We, uh, we actually put out the schedule for Manitoba on the Manitoba Museum's website, which is manitobamuseum.ca under the 
under the planetarium section, we have sort of a current night sky area where you can, you know, find out about things like the Perseids and uh, and also click on the space station. But there are like if you go to um, other apps uh, that that deal with the sky, most of them will will tell you when the space stations come will come over. They'll even give you a text alert or things like that. Uh, it, it really is cool to see this little you know, bright light moving across the sky that has six people living on it in space. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of amazing we can see that. Yeah, and it seemed to have another satellite trailing uh, closely behind it, and it, the the speed was almost identical. It was, it was super cool. Oh, you must have had a great view. Like, uh, they, they send up uh, robot uh, supply ships every few weeks or so, and either one would be going in or one would be uh, coming back with just a bunch of garbage or things like that. And so every once in a while, you see those those visiting spacecraft. So that's that's pretty lucky. Yeah, I've wow. got, I've got uh, goosebumps just thinking about that. That's exactly what that was. So cool. Thanks for that, Scott. Yeah. And no I can actually tell my kids that's a possibility. You know, you make those things up to your children, too, sometimes. We've been talking this morning, Scott, about the burnout at the end of summer when you're running out of things to to do with your kids, I'm going to get them to watch the meteor shower, and and then I'm going to tell them everything is just a spaceship that they're yeah, seeing exactly. in the sky. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's cool to to uh, sort of pull it on them. You, you you don't tell them in advance; you just go out and know when it's going to happen, and then you just you know w- let them discover it themselves. And then what was that? Oh, I don't know. Let's find out. And it can really turn into kind of a you know a spontaneous observation like that that gets them excited. It can really turn into a a learning event for, for the whole family. That's what I love about astronomy. You, you see something, there's so much stuff up there, nobody's going to know everything. So you, it's, a, it's an opportunity to go online and, and dig up or, or come down to the planetarium and ask questions, uh, things like that, and, uh, and get people excited about looking at the sky. Well, you got anything exciting uh, happening if the parents are looking for ideas for stuff to do with the kids at the museum and planetarium as we oh. get ready to close out the month of August? Oh yeah, piles of stuff. We've uh, we've extended our Animal Inside Out exhibit up in the museum, and then the the planetarium has a great show called the Summer Sky Show, which is exactly what you think it it is. It's sort of a guided tour of what's up in the sky, and uh, we're still keeping all of our Apollo stuff all summer. The uh, the Apollo moon landing anniversary was uh, was in July, but we're actually keeping all the all the cool stuff from that. So there's the uh, Apollo. Um, uh, lunar lander simulator and there's uh, an, a planetarium show and a, a lego robot to drive around all sorts of cool things scott young is with the manitoba planetarium and science gallery he is the manager joining us live on 680 cjob from the manitoba museum scott thank you very much for this always appreciate nope. your time no problem guys thanks a lot Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.